sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. What our world needs is more arguing. Not quarreling, but arguing. What's the difference and why do we need more arguing? That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do so is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. I'm joined in the studio, finally, after so like long. a month, uh, by <laughs> one of my regular co-hosts, Renee Kranz. Renee, Robin Bruggeman's been here for like four episodes in a row. Like, when's, when's, I actually was missing you. I'm oh, stop it. <laughs> so, uh, maybe, maybe some of your listeners were missing me, but you, no. Not so much. You don't think I was missing you. Um, just in case somebody's new to the show, Robin, Re- see, Renee. It's been too long. It's been too long. I've been replaced. Could you uh, briefly introduce yourself? Uh, sure. I'm Renee Kranz. I'm the uh, director for communications for the diocese. Um, lived in Sioux Falls for 21-ish years. Native South Dakota. Native South Dakota. Yes. Nice. So um, we're going to talk today about arguing. So yeah. I, had to, I had to wait till you, you were know- here. I, I wondered, you I had me read this. this little thing before, although this thing that I read was not about arguing, but that also made me think, I think he waited for me to be here for this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so it is actually, so, so yeah, we're going to talk about arguing. But I hate arguing. What the, are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> the, the way, the way we're getting into this topic, um, listeners is Renee and I are going to be discussing an article, an essay by David Fogerberg. So David Fogerberg is a theologian, um, recently retired from teaching at University of Notre Dame. Um, he is a convert from Lutheranism. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know the details of this part. This part of his story. Um, I've met him a time or two. Really great guy. Um, but he's a convert from Lutheranism. Uh, became Catholic many many years ago. Now his area of work is actually uh, liturgical theology. Oh, uh, I, I love his books. He's one of my favorite living theologians. But he, in addition to liturgical theology and great stuff on that, – that's a topic for another time. I'd love to have him on Ignition. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but he also is a regular contributor to the magazine Gilbert, okay, which is the official magazine. It's a bi, bi-monthly uh, – every, yeah, every other month for uh, – it's the official bi-monthly magazine of the Society of G.K. Chesterton. Okay. So G.K. Chesterton, the British convert to Catholicism about 100 years ago. Is that what the G stands for, Gilbert? Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Gilbert Keith Chesterton. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. GK, better. GK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chesterton, by the way, actually, um, con- his conversion was 100 years ago last year. July oh, wow. 31st, 1922. Nice. So he, he's been a Catholic for 101 years. <laughs> um, so, so, so Chesterton... Um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about Chesterton as part of this essay, but, but Fagerberg is a regular contributor to, um, this magazine Gilbert. Uh, and, and I've got, I, I recently picked up a copy, um, an anthology of the, many of the essays that Fagerberg has contributed to, um, the, the, the magazine Gilbert. Uh, the, the title is Chesterton is everywhere. <laughs> 
Chesterton is everywhere. He so, is. Um, <laughs> I don't think our listeners are going to be able to see the cover, but maybe go to Amazon, pull it up. So I'm just showing it to Renee. So what the 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 illustrator did is basically oh, take yeah. Chesterton, but put him in a bunch of different kinds of outfits. Yep. Uh, um, different kinds of um, career careers. type outfits. So farmer, yes. doctor. I think I saw a painter flyer, there. painter. Um, there's one of him like in a, a maid's outfit, like house cleaner. <laughs> I didn't see that. Uh, so it's, it's a great cover, a great illustration. So, um, this is a collection of, again, all of Fuggerberg's essays are, are the ones that were written at the time this came out several years ago now. Um, this collection is like eight, nine years old. Um, and they're sorted into themes. Okay. Uh, and one of the themes is happiness, but I'll come back to that in a little bit. So, uh, it's a collection of essays that Fogerberg has written in the spirit and style of Chesterton. Typically Chesterton gets mentioned in these. Sure. And I, 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 do, I don't know if it's with, been with you. I think on Ignition, Renee, before I've talked how I've really become fascinated by GK Chesterton in the last few years. I, mm-hmm. I really think that Chesterton is um, a man, if not the man, the man for our times, yeah. because in so many ways he anticipated uh, over a hundred years ago, some of the things that are just going on in Western society. So he's British. Ah, mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, um, what's the, the trend, societal and cultural trends throughout the Western world, Europe is on the leading edge. And right. that's not really a good thing in this case because the trends are downward. I don't know. America is not doing a very no, good I, job well, herself yeah. right now. No, right. But we're, <laughs> we, we lag, we generally do yeah. lag behind Europe. Right. So not like a hundred years behind Europe, but still there were things that we're seeing yes. today. Um, Chesterton already recognized sort of the, the early stages of mm-hmm. those things over a hundred years ago. Right. And one of the big things that I've really come to appreciate about Chesterton is how he was fascinated by everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chesterton, um, he, he, he was a journalist. He was an essayist. So he wrote a ton, a mm-hmm. ton. Yes. Uh, just recently, somebody published a bibliography of his writings the bibliography. So that's a bibliography. So each entry is just the title and where uh, it was published right. in the year, you know, the basic bibliographical yep. information. The bibliography for G.K. Chesterton's writings is three volumes, and I'm pretty sure that each of them are a couple what? inches thick. I thought you were going to say much less than that. <laughs> no, that's crazy. No, mass. Well, it, because a lot of it yeah, are. This essays is like an Aquinas and, yeah. level I mean, of it, writing. He was so prodigious. Yeah. Not so like a difference between him and Thomas. Like, oh yes, different level. Yeah. Uh, well, no, no. In the sense of like Thomas, like Thomas's individual works could be massive. Right. Most of Chesterton's individual works were small. Most of mm-hmm. his writings are essays. Right. He wrote a number of books as well, but they're not like huge books, right. but he just wrote, even though it's essays instead of long books, he wrote a ton of essays, <laughs> a ton of articles such that his bibliography itself is just a huge. Right. Um, is he up for canonization? So, so there are people who are trying okay. to advance I I had heard that cause. at one point. They've yeah. run into some roadblocks. I'm a supporter of that cause. I don't know much about his life in general. Yeah. So, um, so he was he was fascinated by everything. So, so he was a, a, a journalist and essayist and he was infamously, so you as an editor would probably have hated to have Chesterton. It'd be a love-hate thing because you might love what he contributed, but he always was pushing the deadline. 
Oh, that's typical. That's oh, normal. Wow, well, I, 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 that's I could completely, be an editor. That's completely normal for writers. So, you know, as it, an editor, I, I have a lot of forgiveness for that to a degree. Renee, have you ever? <laughs> no, this is, you know, I mean, this is a podcast, and what I'm about to do is in keeping with the style of podcasts. Are you familiar at all with the world of Spider Man? Yes. Uh, I am married to a man who watches this. Okay, <laughs> yes. so the, uh, the, what, what's the, What's the paper that Peter Parker takes pictures for? Oh, gosh. The Anybody? Daily Caller? Or Daily? The Caller? Or I don't think it's something. The Daily Caller. That's a different... It's not The Daily Caller. But it's like The Caller... Okay. Something. So I don't remember. the editor. And in the cartoons forever, this guy had a short mustache and a crew top. I can't remember his name right now. Um, but he was always angry. I can understand why. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think... I think uh, it's more frustration. It, yeah. Maybe it's frustration that becomes anger. I don't know. But um, it's, it begins Clark as frustration. He, the Daily Planet. Daily Planet. His editor was always yeah, frustrated. Wasn't I it Perry? Was his last name Perry? I don't remember. I think it Perry, was. Perry, yeah. Uh, you, you, editors have to deal with writers who are always pushing the deadlines. Yeah. All right. You know why? Because sometimes their interviewees don't get back to them. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> so what does that have to do with Chesterton? Chesterton always pushed up. He procrastinated. There was one time where he was up against a deadline. He wrote a compelling essay. This, this is, for me, typifies Chesterton. He wrote a really a compelling essay on the contents of his pocket, including <laughs> including the pocket lint. <laughs> Like this, just he and he he wow. he was he, he was he was he was not insincere or inauthentic. He was sincere and authentic. Mm-hmm. Where he was really like, oh my gosh, look at the the hues and the and the texture. And he could be fascinated by everything, huh. which is one dimension of what it means to be childlike oh, in the sure. gospel sense. Yeah. yeah, children are in awe of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and, and as we become older, for most of us, by the time we graduate high school, yeah. we become a, a little bit jaded and worldly. Just a little. Where we've lost, even by 18, that awe and wonder. And mm-hmm. so what happens? Oh, I'm bored. G.K. Chesterton was never bored. Right. Because he he saw the profundity, the depth of pocket lint. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone more significant things, and I really think I really think that's what we need. What we that's why we need the spirit of G.K. Chesterton today because our biggest problem today I've said this for a long time um, is indifference and apathy. Yeah, um, it's not atheism; it's apathyism. Right. It, eh, eh. Yeah. I, I, you know, uh, Bishop Barron, brilliant theologian. He's a technical term for this. I'm going to spell it out: M E H period. Meh. Meh. That's, <laughs> the, the modern heresy is meh. meh. Our problems today are just indifferent. Eh, whatever. Well, uh, and I think part of that comes from comfort. We have far too much comfort. Sure. So, because in the 20s, 1920s, and, and before and after, the, not as much comfort as we have now. Right. Some, Some. yes. Yep. But yep. the comfort drives you to apathy because you're like, eh, yeah, I don't have to do whatever. anything. Uh, and that's, <laughs> so we're always trying to entertain ourselves and yes. find something. Yes. So this is, this is a, one of Chesternet has many famous lines. Um, he, he addresses, he really does address profound concepts. Mm-hmm. He's, he was a brilliant thinker, but his writing and some people actually don't recognize the depth of his thinking because the writing is so catchy. Like oh, sure. the writing is fun. And some people think, well, that uh, fun writing 
certainly cannot be serious at the same time. That's right. not true at right. all. It's right. just kind of rare. Right. So this is a famous line from Chesterton. The world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Mm, yeah. The world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. So we won't like, oh, we, we, we don't have, there's not enough wonders out there to keep me fat. No, we've got, especially, this is a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, if that much more so today. Oh, look at this video on TikTok yeah. or YouTube or look at this. Like there's all sorts of wonders, things to dazzle us. Mm-hmm. But have we lost wonder? Yeah. Um, I think we we have, but it's also been, to me, there is still wonder, but it's focused in a very specific place, and that's in technology. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and then we've lost it every place else. Yep. Like the focus is in one one yep. direction, and it's and it's a very superficial yes. kind of wonder. It's, yes, it's, it's obviously not. It's fleeting. It's yeah. super fleeting. Yes, uh, w- w- like true on wonder, you're, you're you're sort of like you. You, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. look at that sunset or mm-hmm. look at that man or woman. Right. Like, when you see something that really captivates you or an idea, like oh, you, you have to sit with it mm-hmm. and ponder it and almost contemplate it. Right. Nobody contemplates TikTok videos. No. Then, no. Oh, that's fine. Swipe, <laughs> swipe, swipe. Yes. Okay. So what does this have to do with arguing? Well, yes. What does it? <laughs> like we're like 13 minutes I know, in. I and... know. So we're going to get to that next. But if you're just tuning in, welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, talking with Renee Kranz about G.K. Chesterton and uh, a modern theologian who who is entranced, as I am, by Chesterton, David Fogerberg, recently retired from the University of Notre Dame. Um, so I, there's there's a, in this collection of essays uh, that, that I been referring to, uh, Fugerberg has one essay titled Chesterton's 4-H Club. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks about, so this is actually, this is kind of in line with what I was saying about his writing style, mm-hmm. serious, but also fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the essay begins, we think of joking and seriousness as mutually opposing states, but really they can be conjoined in a surprisingly large number of ways. And so he uses Chesterton, and he gets into these the, the, the similarity of words like um, hummus, that's earth or soil, right. human, humility, and humor. They all have the same root, H-U-M. Yeah, I think that's actually, is that humus? Because is hummus two M's? Oh, like the- uh, Like the stuff you eat. My, Jermaine, my wife, makes awesome hummus. <laughs> I don't know if hummus has one or two M's. That's a good question. I think it does. Anyway. Humus. Anyway, so- um, he talks about this, and there's it's actually a line near the end of uh, mm-hmm. the whole arguing thing. I do want to get to that, but I, before I get to that, I've been talking a lot so far. Renee, was there anything, when you read this episode, was there anything that struck you? You know, the thing that I think I noticed, of course, Bergwald, in normal fashion, just hands me this two seconds before we're hey, going to record. some prep. And <laughs> um, so I read through it real quick, and I guess to me it was, I was like, are you... Are you doing this because I tend to like joke in times oh, that are sometimes oh. serious and I tend to, my husband will take, get me to the doctor or in, in some sort of emergency situation yeah. and it's just jokes and you're laughing because I need to like, I need to release the pressure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was like, this is a bizarre, <laughs> why are you giving this to me? But I do think we, we need humor, um, in serious times and seriousness in, in, uh, 
uh, joking times. <laughs> Casey's doing crazy things with the background. We just is briefly. <laughs> That, so, that was, yeah, never mind. Sorry. We're supposed to be professional we and pretend that's not happening, yes. but it was impossible. Right. I was doing well for a while, but then I... It was the Christmas thing that, that came up Christmas that got me. That, me too. Me too. Me too. Anyway, yeah. So the, just the talking about um, it's okay to have humor during serious times and seriousness during funny yep. times, but to be able to balance that, I yep. think, is what I got from it. Gotcha. Good. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there were a number, th- that is probably, I think that's more of the theme than the yeah. thing that struck me, to be honest, Yeah. Okay. Uh, from this one. But I, I do want to focus on the end of the essay. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and this gets to the whole arguing thing. So this is the final paragraph of Fogerberg's essay. The, uh, the title of the essay, I don't know if I can't remember if I just said it or not. It's Chesterton's 4-H Club because of the word humus, human, humility, and humor. The person who does not care if he is heard is the person who does not care to dialogue. So he's talking before then about, uh, should I go back? Uh, yeah, I'm going to back up. It is one thing to be able to illustrate a point with an amusement, and it is another thing for a writer to consistently employ buffoonery. Don't be a buffoon, Renee. You can right. be amusing, right. but don't be a buffoon. <laughs> Why did Chesterton so consistently mix his message with mirth? Because humor is a sign of the willingness to dialogue. In an apology for buffoons, Chesterton explains that he seeks to be amusing for the simple fact that he does not see, quote, why the audience should listen unless it is more or less amused. Mm-hmm. I When I read that. Then I it, totally uh, agree. Yeah. yeah. Fogerberg goes on. He believes speech should be, quote, what some have fancifully supposed the function of speech to be. Something addressed by somebody to something else. A man who is only amusing himself need not be amusing. The one person in all the world who does not suffer the burden of entertaining is the soliloquist. So soliloquy, what, what's a soliloquist? They're uh, basically talking to themselves. Right. No one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if, however, our desire is true, or, sorry, if, however, one desires true communication, then one must want to be heard and one gets a better hearing if one's speech has, quote, all the vices and vulgarities attaching to a speech. <laughs> so, uh, Fogerberg riffing on Chesterton, taking Chesterton here, is is really going after the idea. There are some people who just talk at, but really have no interest in being heard. Right. And and Chesterton or hearing someone say, else. Right, right. Right. Both. Right. Chesterton, what Fogerberg, Fogerberg, and and Chesterton probably both say. Um, and you, how do you know that? Because they don't try to make it interesting, fun, right. and amusing. Right. The person who does not care if he is heard is the person who does not care to dialogue. The person who does not care if he dialogues corrodes the bonds of conversation with caustic remarks. I'm going to reread that sentence. The person who does not care if he dialogues corrodes the bonds of conversation with caustic remarks. Chesterton said, quote, it is generally the man who is not ready to argue, who is ready to sneer. That is why... In recent literature, there has been so little argument and so much sneering. Wow, that sounds like now. I know. Oh, that's my gosh. <laughs> neither Moore, Thomas Moore, who was mentioned earlier, neither Moore nor Chesterton were caustic. They were polemicists, yes, but their arguments contained humility and humor, which continued to the end of their life. And unlike us, they did not sneer at any of their opponents. Moore did not even contemn the, condemn. Con- condemn the king who killed him. 
So the reason I like, as you said, this can took this is one way again where Chesterton was way ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. I mean, what he was writing was true right. uh, in, in early time. 20th century England. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely true everywhere in the West, including yeah. in our country today. Yeah. yeah. So this th- that last that line. Um, it is generally the man who's not ready to argue is ready to sneer. That is why in recent literature, there's been so little argument and so much sneering. I th- absolutely think that that's the case today. Yeah. So I think it's always been the case, probably to an equal amount, but now you see it more because there's more ways to see and hear other people's thoughts uh, well, online I, I, and so I, on. I, so I, I, think, I think it's true that we're more aware of all the sneering. I don't think it was as true in the past because I think in the past people actually did argue. So that, that's probably true. So arguing is supposed to sneer or arguing is supposed to quarrel. My kids several years ago when they were, um, they, they took a, a, a class on logic mm-hmm. uh, in a homeschool context. Uh, and this, they were like in elementary school and they learned very quickly the difference between in a philosophical sense, an argument and a quarrel. Sure. Quarreling is just like, oh, you're stupid. Oh, that's dumb. You big <laughs> fat head, you know, that sort of thing. Wow. Like name calling <laughs> right, and that sort right. of thing. That's quarreling. Yeah. Um, akin to sneering. Sneering right. is even sharper. An argument in the, in the true sense of the word is as about ideas. Right. Um, it's not personal. It's really, and it can, you can be passionate. Right. I mean, the it's about two offering of us, proof for right, your ideas. Exactly. Yeah. Like making a case and so yeah. on. Um, and I really do think, so in order to argue, you have to be able to think. Yes. Uh, and that's why I would disagree with part of your statement. I think that there was more argument, even intense argument in the past than today. In the past. Yes. About his time. I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I didn't uh, live yeah. then, so I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's and certainly yeah. during the founding of our country. Yep. I think certainly then. Yeah. And before and, then. Yeah. Uh, but in the last hundred-ish years, the yeah, level like, of discourse kind of crashed. has crashed. <laughs> so today you see a lot of yelling, a lot mm-hmm. of sneering, but not a lot of argument. Right. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's what that struck me about this line. And it, we really... You know, there um, we're both familiar with this phrase, healthy ideological conflict, right, uh, right. which is is a phrase. Patrick Lencioni, who's a, um, a sort of a, a business consultant, right. corporate American consultant, and he does some work in, uh, in the church world as well. But he talks about the importance of in the, in the context of people working together, you have to hash hash out ideas. Yeah. You have to like put it all on the table, um, quote unquote, hats off where. It doesn't matter what your role in mm-hmm. the on the team is. Mm-hmm. We want to talk through what's the best idea for this this whatever we're, we're discussing mm-hmm. in the moment. This problem, this challenge we've got. What's the best solution to it? So let's hash it out. Right. Uh, and, and I think, well, no, I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with argument, mm-hmm. um, but argument in the true sense, you don't need to be. It, it, argument is important. Yeah. Because. I might have an idea or maybe I might have an idea and I've thought it through and it's a good idea, but you might still have a better idea, mm-hmm. but it's only by hashing it out uh, that, that we're going to figure out what the, the best solution is. That's, that's just in the context of people working together. Right. Society in general, like our, our common life together, mm-hmm. we need to do that. I mean, do that as well. I, ironically, I think one reason why there's, Relatively speaking, so much division in our in our society today, in our country today, is because people don't argue. Right. Well, we keep saying we need to have a national conversation about this or that or whatever, and we never do because everyone's too busy sneering at each other exactly. and dividing. Yep. 
Yep. We don't know how to argue. We don't know how to argue. And I think it's because we don't really know how to think well. Right. I would agree. Um, So this ironically does connect with the, um, in our diet, what it means to be a disciple. We have in our diocese, we have um, our diocesan vision, lifelong Catholic missionary discipleship through God's love. And I really think that part of being a disciple, a missionary disciple, is the ability to think well and to argue well. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see that in, there's an obvious connection here. If I'm talking to somebody about the Catholic faith or about Jesus Christ, um, and they have a question, Mm -hmm. I need to take their question seriously Mm -hmm. and I need to respond to it effectively. Right. That requires good thinking and the best sense of the word, the true sense of the word, good argumentation skills. Right. Right. Um, but, but to be a missionary disciple means just more broadly, uh, among other things, we live in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, we're called to be faithful citizens. Right. So especially as lay people, we're called to do our part in the world, which means engaging in the issues of the day. And I think one of the best things we can do when it comes to engaging the issues of the day is to just exemplify and model good thinking and good arguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got a couple minutes left. Any any thoughts? that I've done a lot of talking. Sorry. Well, Welcome <laughs> back. Just shut up and listen to me <laughs> soliloquize. Well, I think that a good example of that in the Catholic world is the Catholic Answers Live mm. program that's on RPR from five to seven when you're going home, driving in your car. Uh, they do a really good job of making their argument, but doing it with humility and grace and gentleness to the people they're talking to. Um, And even sometimes those conversations are difficult, but they're a really good example of how to do that. And just, it's just one example. So I think it's, that has helped me in listening to that. Think, you know, I need to have a gentler approach to the way I do that. Yep. Yep. That's a great example. Um, To the point of sort of the more broad application, people joke all that, you know, how, um, when families get together, yeah. you know, holidays yeah. or summer reunions, maybe a bit more fitting right now. Fourth of July passed a, a month or so ago, but um, they sometimes can be uncomfortable because things like religion and politics come up. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I've, I've long said, especially about religion, no, we should be comfortable talking yeah, about it. We should be able faith. to talk about this stuff and politics. We, we need to be able to talk about it. So why? So I, I think the reason why uh, we're uncomfortable doing that is because we don't know how to argue. Or, yeah. We, we don't yeah. know how to make our case or respond to other people's case without falling into sneering. So I don't right. want to sneer at my cousin. Right. And to avoid sneering at my cousin, I'm just not going to say anything because right. I don't actually know how to make a good intellectual case. Right. I, I'm convinced about what I believe. I really think I'm right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how to make the case for it. I'm afraid of sneering, so I just won't say anything. Right. Right. That's what I I found that a good a good first step is to ask questions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because if you don't know what they really believe, it's really hard to completely make the agree. Argument. So and, to, and Fagerberg kind of made that point yeah. um with the, uh, quoting Chester the importance of of dialogue. Yeah. Um, being heard, but also hearing the mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah. And, and one, impo- one important way to do this, what do you actually really think? Right. Like I, right. I, I think I know what you think, but I should but, clarify that. <laughs> yes. Make sure I'm right. Define terms, those kind of things. That's yeah. Right. So let's argue more, Renee. Okay. Let's right. do it. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, folks, that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us at ignition at sfcatholic.org with questions about today's episode or ideas for future ones. Until next time, may God bless you.